Welcome to the one within all. Here we go. <laughs> I'm so excited. We got him again. The man, the legend, Dylan Sicosio dropping in for a live stream where we're going to cover just probably a fraction of his brand new book, The Holy Sailors, right here. And to be honest, I'm only about a chapter and a half into it. There's so much to dissect, and I've been doing my best to chase down a lot of the leads and the you know sources and references in the book because what Dylan offers here isn't necessarily something that you can't have found in the past, but he's bringing together all these ancient, <laughs> ancient sources and way more credible researchers than anything that we have in the modern and helping us get to the bottom of what the symbolism, what the language, what the architecture, what the systems really were that everything that we currently see in the world is derived from and maybe even helping us understand how and why and who has pirated the uh, occult knowledge and the mysteries in order to take over, you know, and maybe there's been multiple hijacks and pirates against pirates against pirates. I think that's probably the case. So there's a lot to, there's a lot to talk about and dissect, but overall the goal here is to maybe start off talking about the origins of feudalism and why monasticism has so much to do with what governments are and why we have governments like how did all the land and all the power congregate in the hands of so few? Why were there ever such a thing as nobles and kings versus commoners and serfs? How did that happen? Where did it come from? What's the connection from east to west? There's a lot going on. So I'm really excited to get into it. And we're going to we're going to dive a lot into the mysteries of ancient Britain today. Dylan's got so many notes prepared. We better just get right into it. And oh, smoke, $50 super chat. Thank you, Marty Boss. You're the legend. Awesome. Good way to get this thing started. Dylan, my man, welcome to the show. Let me unmute you, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. It's awesome to talk to you. And it's cool that it's just you and me today. So we have more uh, chances to, pun intended, to flow. Yeah. And uh, I, I saw you on, uh, you did an amazing job on uh, a podcast called False Reality Check. and. Um, just because you were talking about the sources and one of the things when she was playing devil's advocate and asking you about my sources, all of my sources are listed in the books. If there is no source, you're looking at me having done the work. Thus, there's no need for me to source anything because I have literally done the work and then showed the audience how to do the work themselves. So if they just look into the words and that's like why the different versions of the books are so important because with like the 
ebook version, you're going to see like, I wasn't prepared for the feudalism, but I've got it pulled up and we can go through the manuscript and get on point and not waste any time. Well, you can do that with, as a researcher, with searching, you can copy and paste into your browser and start searching all these different languages and seeing it for yourselves. And when you do the work, you get to a certain amount of knowledge where things can't be hidden from you. That is exactly it. That is exactly it. There are keys here. That is what your work gives freely are the keys of, and you do have to do the work, like take it from me, learning how to read things written in ancient Greek that took some work, but it's super worth it because now I can see what I'm, you know, I can actually see and sound it out and phonetically get there. And um, pretty, pretty dang proficient at doing that with Hebrew now as retarded as that script is in terms of like makes no sense really hard to follow but you know that's the the best part about the spirit world series is that you'll be able to make connections on your own and you and i are exchanging texts all the time like oh and did you see this sounds like that and there are so many there's so much interconnection in the language and in the systems that you really you know it's going to be hiding right under your nose constantly and even you will miss things or I'll miss things. And that's why it's so important for more of us to come together and start to pick up the keys to unlock these systems, and especially people that speak languages that we're not even going to be covering or just deciphering because it is worldwide. And why we're going to start with the origins of feudalism and monasticism is so that we can, you know, expose what the system is doing to humanity and has been doing for generations so that we can abrogate the system by, you know, revoking the authority that's been given through it. Right. Yeah. And it's funny because like you just said, everybody has something different to bring to the table. And so you'll often text me something that's like a revelation, like a, like revelatory information that I totally missed because it's just not something that I was looking for. The problem that we have is everyone is, thinks that they know best, especially in these spaces. And they're just kind of doing what they want to do. And that's what you see over the last like 200 years. But what I focus on is the way ancient past where this stuff was a rigid system and it is a system. It's not something that just it's on a whim. And once you see that system, you see that it is the script of the sun, san script, right? The scriptus sanctum, the, the holy writ, if you will. And, um, I got, I, I, before we forget, cause I was listening to that, um, you were talking about the Targums of Jerusalem on your last, last podcast and how we were just talking pre-show, like about the validity of all these, some of these languages that they've told us are ancient. Um, isn't it interesting that even though the Targums are like the authority of Jerusalem, they're only from like the 1100s, not one early Christian father mentions them. Not Jerome, not Origen, not Epiphanius, no one. So how authentic can something like that be? And, and you know, uh, an authority and not any of the early Christian fathers talk about it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think maybe to put the final bit of perspective on it is that most people's understanding of mythology, religious systems, symbolism is like actually the disney version like their 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 understanding of hercules is they saw hercules the disney movie when they were a kid i'm not and, even they, kidding. and they will kill you for it 
<laughs> or or what any any of the Marvel comics, the, the that version of Thor, or or whatever. At the very you know, in a more better scenario, maybe they've got a modern paganism perspective or modern Western occult esotericism perspective. But the thing is. They a lot of the things written from 1850 and later are exactly that. They're the Disney of their time. It's people's opinion, people's evolving um, additions and updates to the symbol system. Like, oh, I think this means that. And there can be philosophical value in it. There can be, you know, life lessons, cultural uniqueness, all kinds of stuff like that. But again, we're we're not t- trying to take that away from anybody. We're trying to show the original system, which was quite rigid and very uh, decipherable if you're initiated to it. And I think one of the best person or best people who have done that would be someone like the George Washington carries, right? He did all kinds of good work with the symbolism. But when you go back far enough, all this like health stuff and all that, it's not really the same. You can tell it's a, it's a product of the modern construct, the modern world, if you will the symbolism anyways, that he applies it to. doesn't mean that it's not good. It just, you can see the incorporation, especially you see it with like the alchemists, all of that. And I think that's where the confusion comes from is because you get people slightly rearranging as things that were meant to be astronomical allegories or other natural processes like spaghettics or something else. And there it is. That's exactly it. That, you know, we could, are we talking about Mercury, the luminary? Are we talking about Mercury, philosophical Mercury? Are we talking about the actual metal Mercury? Or are we talking about Mercury, the son of God? <laughs> Which one is it? <laughs> or is it Agmios, the Irish Mercury, the god of eloquence? Right. Who, uh, Agam, the Phoenician, by the way. Which so let's uh, let's go ahead and introduce the new book, The Holy Sailors. What yeah. can people expect to get out of going on the journey with you? This is the actual the first book that I've written where it kind of it could stand on its own. Like you could just jump into this. It doesn't go deep into the occult stuff. It's more historical because the book that I'm about to publish again, the the sixth book, I found all this crazy information about. Mexico and all this other stuff. And going back to this system, once you see it, you can see it in Mexico, like the Mexican Trinity and all that stuff, which are images of the sun, not to be confused with anything else. And when you see this, you realize it is mathematically impossible for them to have the same system and then the same uh, erroneous calendar with the intercalary date, like just everything's when you see the same mistakes, the same rights, the same language, stuff that they can't even account for. Um, you also have people who uh, went to the Isthmus of America, which is like the Panama region, all that. All, like you'll see that all the way up to like even like um, southern Mexico where you have the Mayan ruins and Maya is the mother of Buddha and Mercury. I don't think that's a coincidence. You have the May suns, right? It's all in this system. And one that struck me tonight that I, I don't know if this is in your book, but I was like, Guatemala, Guatama. Guatama. Yeah. That's the name of yeah. Buddha. Yeah, it is. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it's everywhere. And so then the question is, all right, well, when did they name that? Is that a product? Like, you know, did, can that be determined to be named in the time when, when those cultures could have been peopled? And uh, for those of you who read it, uh, I suspect that at least in part, 
um, Mexico was peopled by the island of Java. And even in the Bible, Java, it would look like JVN. Uh, it would be Javan or Yavan. That is who, what is Greek and Phoenician. It would be uh, Yud, uh, Vav, Nun Sofi. And so that Javan is Greek in the Bible. So you've, we've heard the uh, people status quo will even admit like the Ionians are maybe from Asia. And that's what became the Greeks. And then you have like these places in Ireland, like um, uh, that St. Columba founded or the person who was attributed to that, whatever, Iona. It's an, the island of Iona. And there's St. Mary's Church. And there's a whole lot of history there. A lot of the kings are buried there. and it's a tiny little island that only like a couple families can live on. And a lot of the, uh, the ruling in the old days, the religious uh, ruling occurred. That's where the orders come down from there, that, that, that they would be governed by that small little island. And that in the Orkney Islands, these places look like jump off points to go to the Azores or to Iceland. And then from there to Newfoundland and other parts of America. And People who have been uh, with the Indians in the Isthmus of America, they were white Indians. And they spoke a language that people who were fluent in the Highland language from Ireland and Scotland were able to learn the Darien Indian language in less than a month. Man, there's just so many like side weaves you could get into, but how much of history is astrotheology? The story of Columbus is so sus when you are hip to it like first of all his name is christopher which is christos he rode on a boat called the santa maria so he's born of a boat named mary we know boat symbolism has to do with the yoni uh his you know last name columbus is Colum, which is dove which also encodes yoni but the argo the ship the argo navis in the constellations has a a star in it named dove like and Yo- Yona, Yoni, Yona, Jonah is dove in Hebrew. Right. <laughs> it's the same. They just repeat the same story over and over again. It's like, it's wild, man. So, and why Christopher? Why, why did he have to be? Because his last name should have been Colonus, Christopher Colon, not Columba, Columbus. So I think that they named him that to hide the fact that whoever St. Columba is, wherever those disciples are, whatever that region of people is that believes that mythology in Ireland, I think it's to hide the fact that they were already in America. Yeah, I think that's going to be very fun to uh, <laughs> discover more of as I get the opportunity to go through this book. But like I said, I've been spending as much time, I'm reading like five or six books at a time. You know how it is. And yeah, uh, as much time reading the sources that you provide in previous books as uh, trying to keep up with the breakneck pace that you're on. Damn. So maybe we should get into your notes or start with the, let's start with the feudalism. I really want to. Yeah. Let's start with the feudalism because that's like one of the things, and it doesn't have to be too in depth, but one of uh, the, like the reason the impetus for my work is showing you that there is a system that is depriving us of property. And if you don't believe that, don't pay your property taxes and watch what happens. And so you can have your whole land paid off. And if it increases in value, some person in your government can decide what it's worth and then tax you on it. It's totally arbitrary. And this country did not used to work like that. But this is something that has been going on for a long time. And there's a case system in India 
But ultimately at the top of it, it's going to be the religious, the priest class. And this has spread all over Europe uh, and everywhere you can go in the Western world, in America as well. And so even like um, something like Frank Almoin, which means free mercy, Almoin is Lemoin or the monks or the brothers, the friars. And so the monks held the lands in Frank Almoin and everything belonged to the Pope, according to the papal bulls. And so free or Frank is likely free as in Frey. So like when you ask, uh, when you put an accent on that little Ada, it becomes like an I or like E, like a, cause I is pronounced like an E. So that's where you have free Masons, sons of the sun. And that's why Bacchus is the free father. And among many other reasons why that is significant. Well, this- back to that word, um, you know, well, unum sanctum. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one can, we, can we expose the origin of the word sanctum or sanctus? Yeah, that, that just means holy. And well, sang. So I take it you want to go into shankus? I mean, that was fascinating to me to realize that the the even what they were calling Shan- that papal bull had such significance. So Sean um, basically pertains to the sun. And this and, is in like the, the Celtic, right? Yes. Yep. And so like, if you were to look at like Sean Akas, that would be a judge of the feudal system. And that's from Higgins. Um, and he believed that Sean Ark, Ark, like Arke, head, top, became Senate, Sean Ark, Senate. And that's one thing for people to know about languages is that the shush sound and the s s sound very interchangeable between dialects, regions, systems, languages. It's the same letter, which is why in the modern construct known as Hebrew, they had to create a vowel point system to teach people how to pronounce it. Exactly. So Sean, son, it's the same word. Philologically, phonetically. You name it. And so what's interesting is there's something called sockage, S-O-C-A-G-E. And that was a feudal duty whereby farmers held land in exchange for clearly defined fixed payments made at specified intervals to feudal lords. And so you have things like senor, right, uh, is a feudal lord or a lord of a manor. So in, in Mexican, you have Senor, right? So there's, it's all interchangeable because it's all governed under the same system. So, and according to Blackstone, sockage is derived from the root sock, S-O-C, which is liberty or privilege. And we've covered this before. Liberty is not freedom. It's shore leave. So hopefully people can appreciate the seriousness of the situation that the Occident, which is the West, that it finds itself in because we have been set up for occult feudalism while thinking we have freedom. And so sockage likely came from Saki, which is, um, that's what the Saxons are alleged to be. But the Saxi, Saki go all the way back to um, India and China and Chinese Tartary, all that area. Those were Buddhists. And, and that's the name for Buddha, Zaka, Saka. Saka, yeah, because the X and the S are interchangeable. So even in Mexico, it's Mexico. Their God, Messi, just like Moses, everything else, it's the same word. And you see that again in Oaxaca, Mexico. 
And so Saka or Saki also ties into sacred. So that root S-A-C is also S-A-X. So you have Saxum, which means stone in Latin, S-A-X-U-M. And you have things like sacrifice. Then you, so not only does that C and X interchange, right? Because an X is basically C-K-S, but the C and G interchange. So then you have Sagax, Sage, Saka, Buddha, right? So in Latin, it was written Sakagium. And modern uh, transliteration has the Indo-Scythians spelled Sakas, S-A-K-A-S, for your audience that wants to look this up on their own. Um, everything's in the book, though. If, if you want to save the time and just get right to the nitty gritty, that's why I write the books to save you that time. But ultimately, doing the work is going to how you, is how you uh, it sets in once you see it for yourself. Um, yeah, and it's really like we need to understand people. I want people to comprehend how the system is not just set up to like take your property taxes for all. Um, property and wealth to funnel towards the priest king at the top over time. But then they reinvent the system using the exact same rules, but with like, they just call it something new. So the example would be in the modern day, it's being done through corporate feudalism where we have at the top of the corporate hierarchy pyramid, BlackRock. It's called BlackRock. (laughs) I mean, that's important. Vanguard and Vanguard their their logo is a ship, a sailor boat, and State Street, which I there's I don't even know what they're involved in, but they're up there too. And their logo, a sailboat. So <laughs> the the system has been done over and over again. And it's just like piracy. And then like new pirates come and jack that system, but they use the same tactics and it's just ad infinitum repeated. It's like basically we're looking at a, a mafia gang warfare, family, family warfare, but in an occult sense. Uh, yeah, priesthoods. Shout out to Michael Osarion, who was the first one that put it on my radar, like, oh, geez, like over, over a decade ago now, probably like 15 years ago, with uh, the Greek um, meaning of pirates, which is the ones with fire. And so you see that I called them the holy sailors because they had use of the letters. That's what makes them holy. They have that Sanskrit, that Sanskrit, that holy writ, and they can make the laws and the systems of religion however they want. And they never thought people would be literate. They didn't anticipate this. In fact, you can find quotes, and it'll be in one of my uh, upcoming book. Uh, When that printing press came out in the 1400s, they were like, this is going to, we have to destroy that or it's going to be the end of us. And it is. And, you know, like I sent you that quote the other day from uh, Robert Taylor, Reverend Robert Taylor, who had the funniest quote I've ever seen about this stuff. And it's so true. He said, Christianity and paganism are about as different from each other as six and half a dozen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that couldn't be more accurate and uh, people get upset about that like they want their thing to be the special boy status and that's exactly what the um, basically christianity is on its way to being the next version of you know what we see as the problem with the tiny hats now 
Yeah. And when you when you understand how this ecclesiastical system and as you describe, you have this quote in the book from Cleland where he says the words ecclesiastical, diocese, dean, cardinal, bishop, priest, religion, they're, they're not originally spiritual terms and they have to do with law or judiciary importance because at a time the law was blended with divinity. The law was the religion. And what's whenever that law slash religion is uh, gradually over time funneling all the property into the hands of the <laughs> into the hands of the uh, ecclesiastical corporations, as you would call them. And over generations, eventually everything is owned by the priest class, which, by the way, in the ancient world, they were families. The way that you have like, you know, some your family name might be Baker or Smith. Cohen. Cohen is a Cohen means name. priest. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's literally a mafia system. If you understand that it's family, like the priest lines were families as well. Being initiated wasn't because you were like invited in. Usually it was because you were born into it. So all that being said, yeah. <laughs> Let's right. continue on. The, or do you got something else you want to read? Uh, I just uh, go ahead. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because just to, with the Sean and all the Sankas, all that stuff. So you have Sanskrit, but if you look at Krit, well, philologically, the T, and which would be this, the Tau and the Sigma Tau in Greek, they're interchangeable. So Krito would be Christo. So Sankrit is also Sankrist, Saint Christ. It's there. I'm not saying that, that they made it at that way, but it's there. And, um, yeah, there's like layers of this that is almost the the divine trying to wake us up to the fact that this is going on. Like, the, I think that there are aspects to the to the synchronization of all the things that are way out of human hands. You know what I mean? Yeah, and even like so, uh, so that that root in Hebrew would be Shana, which would be uh, Shin Nun uh, Hey, and that means year. You see that in Ras. Rosh Hashanah, Ras, the head of the year. So all uh, those people who might think that Ras or Rashid doesn't mean head or top, they're dumbasses and you shouldn't listen to them. <laughs> stick Most with your boys. Are. You're looking at two of the greatest in this space. Just stick with <laughs> us and we won't lead you astray. Uh, <laughs> I think there's not a lot of people that are willing to do this type of research because there's so much out there that is more modern and thus more accessible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people's research doesn't go farther than listening to talking heads while they're doing other stuff like us. So, I mean, I, I was guilty of this for a long time that what I considered research time was really like entertaining myself, the busy work and not really taking the actual time to like figure out an alphabet or, or something like that. So there, there is, it is a little boring. bit it is boring, but you know what it is? It's kind of like, it's kind of like working out. Like the initial stuff is boring, but then it gets to a level where it's like easier. And, and then it's actually fun. Yeah. Once you have the proficiency to start making the connections for yourself, then it becomes really fun. But the last thing I was going to say about the Christianity, modern Christianity, not wanting to be tied back to paganism is you're actually, you know, if that's your perspective out there, I hope people realize we're not here to like destroy their spirituality or their religion. It's more like expanding you to your awareness of where it comes from. So you can see that it's actually bigger and more beautiful 
<laughs> you know, in its pure state, this system, you know, I like I, I mean, it's only speculation for us at this point in history and how far back whatever the grabbles happened were. But I think that there was some, you know, is with every human institution, there's probably as many well-intentioned people within the institution as there are evil grabbler people. Yeah. So there's a lot about, you know, the majority about the system in the ways that it's able to describe nature. And that's all really good, true and beautiful stuff. It's where humanity has been led into supernatural thinking, uh, dogmatic mysticism, all these things that divorce you from the evidence of your senses that cause as much damage to the human race as scientism does with its whole charade. So it basically has turned what was the mystery tradition in a way to elevating consciousness and become more in tune with nature by seeing the, the oneness of nature system because nature does everything in a certain process and it builds in a certain way. And it's a fractal uh, and it, <laughs> it's taking us from that into uh, communism instead and modern the the modern church is really not that different than communism and it's taking humanity in that direction and i'm going to include a chapter in this upcoming book about um a gentleman named gustav's uh, experiences in china in the early 1800s and it's not good man like that that culture's got some serious problems historically and you know i think we grew up and they teach us that they started killing their daughters because of the one China policy, but they've been doing that for as far back as like literature goes. And there's accounts of it. It's disgusting. Like there's some serious shit going on in Asia. That's not, it's not good at all. I think uh, Thomas Burgoyne was hundred percent correct in the light of Egypt. When he said all this sorcery that you see, it's coming from the Himalayas, Tibet, all that shit. Um, but back to San, just because there's, there's people that think that um, maybe someone like me just sees what I want to see in this stuff, right? Like, oh, I just see the sun everywhere. And that's my agenda. But if you look in Nepali, right? Look this up. This is not me. The very word san that you would see in Sanskrit, san, right? Uh, Saint in Italian and everything, santa, whatever. It means sun in Nepali. And in Hindi, it means year or year of grace. It's all related to the year of the acceptable or the acceptable year of the Lord which is marked by the sun. And again, grace in Greek is kadis. So you have you kadis, Eucharist. So the year of kadis is the good uh, grace or the, uh, the good year, if you will. Good year tires, you see. And um, if you recall the interchangeability of C and S in Greek, for anyone who's never seen that, go look at how Constantine is spelled in the Hagia Sophia. Uh, it's indiscriminate the way they use C and S. So Sean in Irish, or in head, in Ga- uh, sorry, in Gaelic, it is, is also kian, which is spelled C-E-A-N-N, meaning head in Gaelic, which likely comes from or is related to Khan, K-A-H-N, and Cohen. And kian in Irish or in Gaelic is this pretty much the same as kion in Greek, which is dog. And dog backwards is God. And so all of that pertains to knowing and that's where you get king. And the priests are in control of the kings. And so you have... And in many cases, the, the head priest was the king. Yep. If you go far back enough, it does seem that that is the case. And Sankus and Sangus, doesn't matter if it's S-A-N-C or S-A-N-G, it means holy one, the holy one. 
And that was the national god of who? The Umbri, who are the pre-Etruscan Phoenician civilization in Italy. And I'm, I did a... So uh, back that up for people. Sanctus is the holy one, the Etru- an Etruscan uh, main god. Umbrian. Umbrian, prior to the Etruscans. Because the Etruscans and the Phoenicians are basically the same, but the Etruscans come from the Phoenicians. And I just did an episode on Crow that's going to air later this month showing you that Italy was the primary colony of the Phoenicians. That's why you have the Venetians. So they are ancient Italians, and that's who Britain was peopled by, which is why all the Irish languages and everything in Britain all trace back to Phoenician and even have the idioms of Phoenician. And Phoenician, So when later the Pope gives us unum sanctum, they're drawing their authority from the fact that they're the inheritors of a way older system. Way older. And that pontifical system, I don't know how far back it goes. I, I suspect it goes back really far. Um, and I make claims on my upcoming Crow, uh, Crow episode that Latin did not descend from Greek. It didn't even descend from Sanskrit. And not only that, Etruscan didn't descend from Sanskrit, as they think. And what you're looking at is a total inversion. They've done to language what they did to the shape of the earth, if you get my meaning, without people, without going into that. And so you have these cultures, like Hebrew, or not cultures, I should say these languages, whether it's Hebrew, Arabic, all that stuff, they take their letters from Phoenician, yet they have no affinity to Phoenician. And do you know what has affinity to Phoenician? That would be Celtic, because it is Celtic. And so then you have all these other people saying that, oh, Europeans stole their religious writings and took over their temples and all that other nonsense. Well, let me just give you something. Ethiopian shares 500 root words with Phoenician. I'm sorry, with Hebrew, which comes, takes its alphabet from Phoenician. Therefore, all of it comes from Phoenician. It's way older. Phoenician is way older and um, it's, it's provable. It's observable. And if you look at all these modern languages that everyone's saying like uh, white people stole from them, they're too intricate and they're not practical languages that make sense with carving and chiseling and all that stuff when you have to do stuff in stone to make it last. So that's, that's a whole nother subject. But back to that holy one, that national god of the Umbrians was, keep in mind, san, meaning sun. And every pretty much every language or pertaining to it, well, that's who the Greeks made the same as Hercules. And so Holy One is invokes the sun or God, the alone one, also known to the Latins as Solus or Sol Invictus, the Inconquerable Sun. And that's where you have the origin of words like solo, solitude, solace. And it just pertains to being alone. And so um we can use uh, O'Reilly's Irish dictionary for the word Shankur which would be uh, Shankur, oh uh, yeah, S-E-A-N-C-U-R. And, um, you know, it, even, the French, go, go uh, sa- even the French sanguine or sanguine. Blood. Mean, meaning blood. You know, that even is seemingly like it's coming from this idea of the, the holy blood, the bloodline. Well, in O'Reilly's Irish Dictionary, it's funny that you say that because our blood is like our cause, like our ancestors, our lineage is our cause. We exist because of them. And Shankur in O'Reilly's Irish dictionary literally means old cause, or that is a very old cause. And 
every cause appertaining to antiquity. I think that's a really interesting definition. Yeah, yeah, the Irish dictionary, that's going to be really helpful. I'm going to have to put that on my Christmas uh Christmas book list right there. Well, you ready cuz he, he's going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep going. So uh even in the word Sean Cus, you have Sean the son and Cush the son who begat Nimrod, right? And so he in continuing in O'Reilly's Irish dictionary, Sean Cus constitutes both in name and matter, the original laws of Ireland. And they are, as sometimes called, Fenicus, because they are regulated by, or they regulated the Fenians, who are the Phoenicians, and their colonies. It was the foundation of knowledge of the tribes of Eden and points out their origin for the Edenax, which are the Irish. Erin is like their goddess. Uh, they derive their name from Phineas Barsaid, Phineas the mariner, or of the prow of a ship, to which you rightly pr- pointed out, uh, there's a constellation that's missing a prow. Yeah, yeah, I believe we already brought it up. I think they call it Ar- Argo, Arco, Archon, ruler, top, head, wisdom, all these words. They're from and, wisdom. Yep. And you were talking about uh, Harry or Hare Krishna, right? In that uh, podcast you just did. Well, Eddie in um, Petrushan means holy. So is Edin, right? E-R-I-N-N, the goddess of Ireland. Is she connected to that Eddie or Harry? Yeah, like when you say Harry Krishna, that means, Harry means savior. And then it's also right bang on with the phonetics of Eros. Ero. Era and era is a, a measurement of time. Yeah, it goes so, on, it goes on and on. <laughs> it does, and and there's even like people like Pliny. They'd be like, he wrote stuff like I don't have the quote off the top of my head, but it's just like you would think that everything you're seeing in Ireland was given to them by the Persians, and so that's why there is like this interesting thing about with Arabic and going back to the old world because it is ultimately the same language. It's just not the way people are describing it. And um, Shankus was also called Fenicus, right? Because the Irish derived their knowledge of it from their ancestors, the Fenish, Phoenicians, right? And they were a colony. And so even like uh, a gentleman named Betham, who's a contemporary of Reverend Taylor, he was like, could any evidence be more direct and conclusive? We find the languages or language and traditions of Ireland in perfect accordance with the statements of the Roman writers and all the extraneous testimony. Um, but going back to this feudalism system, Fortescue um, claimed that despite the rule by Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans, the ancient Britons retained the same customs and common laws likely inherited from India. This is where shit gets kind of weird. Um, and that's why I think the Phoenicians are so important is because they were the ones, at the very least, were like the vessels for the priests getting to and from each area so quick to initiate each other. And he wrote, in all of these nations, in the time of their kings, that kingdom was continually regulated by the same customs by which it was already governed. A gentleman named Niebuhr wrote, so a tenth is the portion of the state seems in general to have levied on corn as the Roman Republic did, whenever it exercised its right of ownership. And so Ethelwolf, 
passed a declaratory law in 855 AD in England, which made the whole kingdom liable to tithes, which are tenths of productivity. King Guntham passed a similar declaratory law at the Council of Mascon in 586 AD. Of, uh, Niebuhr wrote, it is more probable that the Roman kings, according to the general polity of states in the ancient world, levied a tenth off the lands and property of which vested in the state as it did with the princes of Asia, because even multiplied vassalage without any considerable taxation would have been inadequate to execute their enormous buildings. So when we see all these like old structures, how they do it? Well, when you can just make every single church that you have uh, control over, give you their, their tithes, every piece of land, then you can get shit done. And that's what we don't have today as uh, overtly. It's totally different now, but it's still a similar situation. But that's why that's how they were able to get all this stuff done. The only the last the only thing that we need to figure out now is what the technology they use because we're obviously being lied to about that. All these yeah. monolithic sites, you know. Yeah, and so to kind of summarize in a nutshell some of what you're just explaining here is we have this view on ancient history as we've been I wouldn't even say taught because it's not really taught, but we're just sort of led to believe through like movies or whatever version of history people have aggregated in their mind that say, for example, the Romans came into an area, they took over and they instituted Roman law and they set up shop and they started making people do things the Roman way. But in any case that we can point at that we have, you or I have looked into when an empire comes in and takes over an area, all they do is just get to be the head of the tribute system and all the laws trial by jury of 12 peers, you know, all these different things that we're accustomed to. And that seem like the quote unquote Roman system were all in place all over the place. And it's just different owners take over the, the corporation at different times. Isn't it convenient that the temples and shit never get destroyed? So like when Rome's getting sacked, you know, their temple system doesn't, you know, just perfectly still there for Christianity to build on top of. I mean, it's, it's crazy that people don't think about this. And it's like, I really think every time you see this stuff, it's just the priest class getting rid of the Kings that they don't like and then putting new puppets in. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems to be still going on today. I mean, look at the guy that they call the, <laughs> the president right now, <laughs> literally shitting his pants and whatnot. It's, it's wild. I don't even want to go into it, but there's a really funny YouTube channel that has like his voice and, and makes like Biden go through Skyrim. Remember that video game? <laughs> so he interacts with like all the NPCs and it's, it's hilarious. Um, anyways, but back to what the subject at hand, a gentleman named Thomas Monroe wrote among the only Hindu chiefs unsubdued by the Mohammedans, the Rajas of Ceylon, which is uh, Sri Lanka, Travancore, Cochin, and Kurg, which is Kodagu, the land tax is still but 10%. So how are all these nations and countries on opposite ends of the continent that supposedly have no interconnectivity, they have the same tithing system? Um, it's just, it's astounding when you look into it but it's as good as architecture. These systems, like these are as good as digging up an artifact at a, at an archeological site. It's there 
and there's too many coincidences and it's just like language. Once you have too many coincidences, it becomes mathematically impossible that they're not cre- uh, connected to each other. Sterling wanted to know reminder of uh, what's the Irish dictionary. And when I said little hats, I was referring to a certain type of uh, individual that if you call them out by their label, then you get in trouble and 6 million and oh, Jesus, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I see, what was the, the, the Irish in the dictionary? chat. It was O'Reilly's Irish dictionary. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, and, okay, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, let's, you know, keep plowing through this. This is the thing about the, the feudal system. It's, 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 there's a lot to it, but, um, regarding the landed tenure of Italy, the general characteristic was the principle that all landed property is derived from the state and that the conqueror acquires a title to it so that the exercise of his acquired ownership depends entirely entirely upon his own will and pleasure, whether he shall tolerate the original occupants or not on condition of a rent. And this is why you see like, Italy is one of those places why I don't buy the Augustus Julius Caesar narrative because um, you don't take out somebody in Italy and then leave their family because 20 years goes by and then that, or less and that family can make a rightful clear to the throne. So they oftentimes, and you can read about this in Machiavelli's The Prince, when they took over a neighboring kingdom, you had to put the whole family to death, even even the heirs if they were children, and that's what Chisade did. Uh, he, you know, he, there's accounts of him like drowning the young heir in the river. Um, it's the Game of Thrones, and it is a system, and no one's safe in it, and it's a system that must constantly consume, which is what you see with the corporate system. They're never, it never just kicks back on its laurels and enjoys life just like our debt system it has to keep creating more debt. If it ever pays off the debt, since the currency is debt, it takes the currency out of the system and thus there's no currency. You have to keep creating more and more debt. And that's what's going on. And when you talk about the conquering that you just mentioned, I want to point out that the word purchase, one of the meanings of the word purchase is conquer. Like if you go to Webster's 1828 dictionary, just look up any words in there. Some of them will blow your mind, but <laughs> yeah, I got that from you and Clinton Richardson. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the definitions of purchase is robbery and the thing stolen. So <laughs> your purchase is what you stole. Oh, so, and you did a, you did a good, you did a, another one of those like revelatory things on uh, that podcast with Rashid. Do you remember what you said it was also? <laughs> there's so many like they're just Rashid. like dust in the wind Rashid. yeah Rashid Rashid yes yeah Rashid meaning wisdom and yeah if you keep your receipt that's usually wise <laughs> yeah isn't that funny so uh plowing through this the primary and essential distinction between the patricians which are like the nobility on the aristocracy and the plebeians who are not an aristocracy and a rabble as the writers of the um the primary distinction is not that it was an aristocracy and a rabble, as the writers of the Augustan age uh, claimed, but two several nations, the one domineering, the other dependent, like the Normans and Saxons, to take an instance, during the first centuries after conquest, or like the English settlers and the native Irish. 
And so the empires in the Orient, it looks like at one point, went conquering into Europe. And with the superiority of their civilization, the same way the Europeans did to the Americans. And what I think, I think is this is the reason for like the first 300 years of Rome's history being astrotheology. It's to cover up how they do this, just like what um, was done to the Mexicans and, you know, the, the Americans and all that stuff. There is a cleansing that has to happen and a substitute for what, like, so people don't ever figure out. Um, By that, what, you mean was just straight up genocide. There's a basically kill all the men mostly and take the women somewhat of a genocide. And then, yeah, you, you want to, you don't really want that to go into the history books about your empire. It was a little bit different in the Mex uh, in the, um, in the Americas. It wasn't just straight up genocide. I think it got to that, but I think a lot of people overlooked how genocidal the natives were themselves and how many people they sacrificed. And, um, if you're already a superstitious people, right. And you're getting to a foreign shore and then you see how like even this own culture brings about 4,000 sacrifices in a day, like just crazy types of shit. I could see how you would think they're of the devil and I can see how like it would clash, right? You get to a foreign land and somebody's hostile. What are you supposed to do? Just turn around and go home. You just spent the past month on the ocean or if it's the Pacific, you know, a couple months, whatever. So yeah, and that's important too, because part of what is really thrown off uh, are the, especially the men of our culture, I think is this whole story of like your ancestors were savage, terrible, you know, murderous brutes, which is funny because when you get into the astro theology history of Rome and uh, history of England, you know, turns out they really like to make your forefather a guy named Brutus. <laughs> Brutus. It's on repeat. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, hopefully we've painted a picture. Um, if there's anything else you want to go into, but like. I think so. But even like when the America, when North America, um, the United States was being founded, the story, the mythology, if you will, is that they based a lot of the Articles of Confederation on the Seneca tribe. Right. And Seneca is even a Latin word already. So I don't know if that was really what that tribe was called. Yeah, that always but bothered it, me. The name of that tribe implies the idea of a Senate mm -hmm. that they had some kind of a similar system already. I always wondered about that myself. Um, I think uh, uh, Higgins made a great quote on uh, the Lex Non Scripta. And he said, uh, so, so a lot of places in the old days, they had um, library the of unwritten law, Lex Non Scripta. Yeah. And so you had like livery of Sazen. So like if you were, if I were to sell my house to you, what I would do is I would give you a chunk of the land. I literally cut out a chunk of the land, put a branch or a twig from the prop, from the tree on the property, and then like a key to the house or some sort of token from the property that was mine. And I would give it to you in front of our, of our witnesses of the community. So everyone know that that's now yours. And um, this is how land was transferred. And so when this system comes in of the priest class, now all these people that have held this land in um, their families for centuries don't have record, like proof, recorded proof of it. So it's like, well, if you don't have the deed, then it's going to be ours. It belongs to the Pope. You know, it's like this weird, that's what's so scary about this system is they just declared to own the land, the souls, everything. 
Yeah, that's huge. So, yeah, I think we've given a pretty good uh, overview. I mean, it's hard. One of the things that's hard about conveying this, especially in podcast format, is like it almost gets a little insidey between guys like us where we're so enthusiastic about what we're talking about, but we're also coming from a perspective of like spending many hours because the, the real burden of the evidence, if you will, is that it requires many hours of minutia. You're looking at all, when you really see all the minutia, if people could have gone through it the way we have, or if they were willing to, then all of this is going to make a thousand times more sense. And it doesn't feel like they're, taking our word for it. So it's really a, in the same way that the, uh, the, the empires have continually uh, subverted peoples through the whole death by a thousand cuts. That's kind of how the, the evidence builds up too. It's just thousands of little details that continue to paint the picture until you kind of have the whole mosaic of the mosaic system. <laughs> we're, we're, con- we're literally condensing thousands of years into a short, you know, digestible things for people to get. And that's what's so valuable about the the work we've done is because for the people who don't have the time, they can just listen to you with the audiobooks. Um, for people who want to dive the work, they can get like the paperback. And then the people who just want to reference it and be able to use it for key word searches, that's what the ebooks are for. And they're not really expensive. So it's like we are literally saving people thousands of hours thousands or if not millions of dollars, because the time you took to learn this shit, you could have started a business and been like making multi-millions of dollars if you know what you're doing. It's like we made it a huge sacrifice because we're passionate about it, right? It's not like we're doing this because we're filthy rich making money off of it. There's plenty of other shit we could have done to make money. And I don't remember who it was that has the quote about how like for everything that's claimed in a text as a quote from a historical person or some kind of evidence yeah. that uh, like 10% of the people will look that up and then 10% of the people will verify that source was real. And anyway, you're coming down to like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of people that it was, will actually, it was, it was Reverend Faber. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did I convey that idea? Correctly? No, no, he, he wasn't a Reverend. My mistake. He was not a Reverend. He was a scholar though. Yeah. Yeah. No, you did a great job. And yeah, and that's a big part of the issue is what, like people just take things for dogma. We do want someone, we want someone out there to be the next one to step up and start showing us connections. You know, it's going to take many, many more voices before the system can be uh, abrogated. And mostly it's just about not playing the dumb games anymore and building some things outside of it. Like, you know, um, Owen Benjamin's community is doing a really good job of that. If you have to pay, if, if you have to interface with Roman system a little bit, whatever, but for the most part, this feudalism is not designed to uh, take on a bunch of highly productive, highly, uh, like strong, healthy people. Uh, it's not going to, it's not about them stopping us from doing anything. It's about them convincing us to sabotage ourselves, usually. He makes a great point, too. It's like that system is just there to babysit the people who can't take care of themselves. So if, as you, yes. you know, you do the work, you get out of it, you become less dependent on it and then it doesn't really impact you that much. Right. And so that I actually think is there's some value to that. That's why I don't think it's like derived fully from an evil intent or an evil so- source. But when 
the wrong type of people hijack it, pirate the uh, system and take it over and start influencing the culture to make the people more dependent on purpose and profiting off of that. Then, you know, you land where we've been at for quite a long time. I think the problem with the system is it can be changed so easily and on the whims of people so easily without anybody else agreeing. So they just do stuff and they say, oh, we're elected. So because we're elected, then what we say is the will of the people. And it's just not the case. And I think that's where, you know, people just start passing laws to cover their own asses, you know, rules for thee, not for me. And I think that's where we're all getting lost. Yeah. It's actually not that dissimilar from the confusion regarding symbolism within the subculture that we speak to. Yeah. I mean, if you're ready, we can start jumping into uh, the ancient Italian origins of Ireland and Britain. If, yeah, let's see how far we can get into that and uh, get some history we'll, going. We'll do about 10 or 15 minutes on that before we cut over to the uh, the next segment. Cool. So um, I think you'll appreciate this. Do you remember what the the etymology of the word Hebrew is? Ibiri or Ibiru, it's, right? Yeah, it's, it's Obri, right? So it um, it would look tra- look like transliterated O-B-R-I. And so keep that in mind because the Phoenicians called Ireland Obinni. And we get the name Aubrey from this, I think. Yeah, and it's very similar to Ubri, but that's where it's similar to Iberian. But that has... Uh, a meaning in the initiated and you can go read the books. We don't need to go into that. It's not a historical people. It's a, it's a degree of initiation. And so Obirni is uh, the ultima habitatio, which means the furthest or last settlement, because that was what, that was the furthest they had gone back then. And the uh, secrets of the Magi, the Orphians, the priests of the Kabiri, and of Egypt were the same as the Druids. And so the discipline they enforced, the sciences they taught, and their opinions were in general the same. And the source they derived them from was the same, namely from the ship of Dylan, the son of the sea. That's who I'm named after, who survived with his single family when the world was drowned. Now, that's the Noah, right? Nobody's going to argue that that's the same thing as the Noah. And guess what? The Mexicans have their version too, which will be in the next book. But the reason I had to stop at this detour in Ireland is because I was like, I saw the affinity that the Mexicans had and I couldn't just go from Europe and you know what we've been doing with like India and stuff like that and go straight to America because we're skip- we'd be skipping the Phoenician empire and we can't do that because now I'm realizing the Phoenician empire is way more important than we've been led to believe. So the Kabiri, they're named after the first three powers of God, would you believe it, encoding the Trinity, so or the sun. And it literally means the strong. And of them, there were 12 hermaphroditic in nature, composing the celestial hierarchy, and the sovereign Lord was called Tania, which is the supreme God whose emblem was the sun. While also the emblem of the sun is the number 10 or X. So Tania, she's 10. And you know what I suspect? Yep. That uh, Etruscan Phoenician letter, Tet, it's Hebrew habit too. It looks like a circle or circumscribed 
Tav or cross. Tav. So it literally is Tet is literally Teut or Doth, who is Hermes, who is Mercury, all of them, the father of letters. And it's the same symbol as the medicine wheel that the North American Indians had. And I just uh, posted a really good uh, uh, video about artifacts being dug up with that, with those crosses that people are claiming are ancient Welsh. Mm. And, and they said it was Native American, but there's people in Britain that are like, oh, no, 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 no. That, that's the Welsh alphabet. That's, that is a Welsh artifact. Really fascinating shit when you get down to it. What, real, what cracks me up the most is all the modern Christians that are like, the mark of the beast is coming. The mark of the beast is coming. And they're wearing a cross. <laughs> it's literally, that's the Tav, the cross is literally the mark that they're referring to in Revelation when they say the mark of the beast. And it's nothing but the sun, the daemon of many names. It's not, it's not, it's, if you know that this is all a cool allegory to encode the year and the sun, if you think about the zodiac as a giant clock with every degree and the sun in every single degree is a different character and the aspects of every planet and to the sun and all that stuff in every degree or every in throughout the year in the Zodiac through the houses, it's all beautiful symbolism, nothing to be like worried about nothing. You know, it's, it is an amazing system. It's just what the priest class has done with regarding the vulgar. They intentionally did that. They intentionally did not teach the vulgar this stuff. In fact, they intentionally taught them. It was real history because it was like, well, we need to keep, we need to keep their like animalistic behavior in check. And the only way to do that is through the fear of God. I think that there's also the possibility. One thing I've been pondering lately is that because you would have kings, emperors, whoever, a new conqueror would, they would put themselves up into the stellar tableau. They would have the astronomer priests make one of the constellations. Now it's me. I'm up there. Right. So historical events that happened would actually get encoded into the constellations occasionally. So. I wonder if maybe that's part of where the assumption comes from that you can actually discover or decipher real ancient history from the constellations in the stellar tableau that they're assuming that somebody earlier saw it happen. And that's why it's there to begin with. But, you know, that's obviously fallacious logic. And that's just a conjecture. Well, it, it may be, though, if you think about it, like every single person here could write the history of their life into the stars. They could imbue every single star in, in, in the sky, assign their own values to it, divide it up however they see fit and do their own mythology. There's nothing stopping anybody from who hears this or sees this. It's a memory that. palace. <laughs> and you, without having a computer or anything to record it or a pencil and paper, or whatever, you could do it through the stars. And so I bet maybe that, I think maybe there is something to that a long time ago. But in terms of the system that's enslaving us, no, I've shared the quotes. There are people on the record saying like they do this, they know what they're doing. And even in private, they know it's not true. And they'll remain a philosopher to the end, right? Christian fathers too, not just random people like high up there. And so back to the Kabiri, the Kabiri and the supreme being or the soul of the world, the cause of causes named Tinia are Phoenician. And it's my opinion that Britannia even though it means country or nation of tin, Bretanak, again, another Phoenician word, because they were mining the shit out of that place for tin and lead and supplying all the empires with it. I think 
Britannia encodes covenant of Tina. Meet like so. If you look at uh, Betty, uh, it would be Brit. That's how you pronounce it. But it, it looks like B, uh, like it would transliterate as Bereth. B E R I T H. If people wanted to look it up, it means covenant. I think Britannia literally is the covenant of Tina. And I don't know if it's, you know, the sun and the zodiac or if it's sun and its ages, right? Because the, the 12 Kabiri, it's very similar to the story of the 12 Titans, right? And those would be the, the, the 12 stones, right? Gilgal. And north of that would be where the gods assemble on whether it's Mount Miru, Mount Ida, Zion. It doesn't matter. It's all the same astrological encode of the, the heavens. Um, but I, that's what I think it is. Um, if it does encode the Zodiac and all that stuff, I think, you know, possibly we've stumbled on a forgery because there, I don't think there were 12 signs back then. Right. I think there was only 11 signs. And then, cause the, the, the 12th and the 11 were Scorpio it was like a massive sign and they cut that part of the claws off and made Libra, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that's more conjectural let's uh move over to our second half though we're going to take a short intermission i'm going to play some music and i'll post the link to the rock fan that'll also be available in my patreon will get re-uploaded later tonight or early tomorrow but uh let me, let me entice some people with the subject please do, we, yeah, we don't have to rush so, there so if you head on over and subscribe to his rock fan which it's worth it i'm going to talk about the five dialects of the celtic i'm going to talk about the Five languages of Britain. I'm going to talk about the Phoenician origin of Thor. And we're going to do a whole lot of syncretism on all these solar deities of letters, books, wisdom, etc. And help it make more sense and gel. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm personally quite enticed. I'm also just really grateful that you bring such well-polished research, comprehensive notes always more notes than we can actually get to <laughs> you make it where there's never really two podcasts that you're on that are the same. You bring value to everything you do Uh great role model, great mentor, great friend to me. So I, I appreciate the shit out of you, man. It's, you know, Likewise, I feel like dude. just at the beginning of this wild ride of uh getting to the bottom of things, like dude. I feel like me and you're going to be doing this for a long time. <laughs> Well, this is my goal. And just so people know to put it in, out there, my intention, I just bought a brand new, I'm doing on a, a brand new uh, M1 MacBook. I just got a new iPro, uh, I, what are they called? The 14 Pro Max, whatever. So footage. My goal is if these are getting good, I could fund us going to these locations and some of your other friends who are really good at this shit. So we could just go see this shit for ourselves and, you know, maybe, you know, pay some people to get inside, whatever. Yeah, bring get to the like, bottom of it. I'm down. Like you know, I the that's what I would do. If we had money, that's what I would want to do. Because I'm Make telling documentaries, you, get, bring a whole crew. Yes, and you people need to look into the island of Java. There's all kinds of crazy shit getting dug up there. There's temples there. Look up Kandi Sukha, C A N D I space S U K U H. Every single person, and and play this game. Ask somebody, send them the pictures, and say where, what country is this temple in? They'll say Mexico. It's this in Java. The island of Java, or the island yeah, of look, Yova. Yeah. Well, it it could be, it could Yova. be Yova, could be Eve, it could be all of them. <laughs> 
Yeah. So guys get, uh, get on it. If you're not caught up on the spirit world series, it's good to start from the beginning, catch up. Uh, but I like Dylan said, this one could stand alone if you're really interested in the history that he's exposing, but overall, like, you know, there's, you have a lot of options in the world today. You could get super into game of Thrones. You could get super into Lord of the Rings. You could get super into, uh, I don't know. the Bible, any of these different things could be your lore, or we could start learning about the lore of the actual game that we're playing of that. We're really in, you know, that the real world that we're in. And it turns out it's way more interesting lore in real life than anything that has been given to us by the Hollywoods or the video game developers or even their best shot. You know, the real life lore is way more interesting. So get get on the journey with us, guys. Check out the Spirit World series. The links will be in the show note description. Uh, all of Dylan's books can be found on Amazon. And both of us would uh, like all our work actually makes that lore more fun because you see deeper into it. So it, it like enriches everything. Yeah, it's awesome. But all right, guys, we're going to hop over to the Rockfin side. We'll also post this on Patreon for later. Thank you, Dylan. Uh, like, share, and subscribe if you watch this. You know, help Chance get his channel growing. There's no reason he should only have like 5,000, 6,000 subscribers. There's people who have hundreds of thousands, millions of subscribers, and they're doing like half as good of a job as him. And so get him going, guys. It takes you actually sharing this video. That's really true. You guys are my publicity team. Thank you for everyone that's doing it. And you know, I got to give thanks that in the last year, the channel is like doubled in size. So if that trajectory continues, we'll get there. And we we're already at a point where this is supporting me. And, um, you know, if we can start getting extra funds, we'll start hiring some of you to be a documentary crew and whatnot. It's going to get really wild. Yeah. So Firing I'm going to play us out with um, or play the intermission here. We'll have about three and a half minutes. My buddy David, a.k.a. Wisdom Traders, made this song. It's really good. So go check that out. There will be a link to that in the show notes as well. See everybody on the Rockfin side. And thanks for tuning in, YouTube people. Thank you.